If you would turn in your copy of Scripture to Isaiah 42, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9, and that's on page 602 in your pew Bible. Isaiah 42, and we're just going to be looking at the first nine verses together. Now I have one aim this morning. One aim, one purpose in this message is that you and I behold anew the glory and the wonder and the beauty and the tenderness and the power of Jesus Christ. That's my aim this morning. And the past two years have been no friend to us by way of circumstances and obstacles for our beholding of Jesus, have they? Quite frankly, the church, as I see it, the church in America particularly, seems as lost sight of its calling to be the church. The church has gotten sucked into endless debates that don't profit those who are debating nor the hearers of those debates. We've been distracted from beholding the wonder who is Jesus Christ. My aim is to lift Jesus up and for us to have our hearts kindled anew by the power of the Spirit. That is my one and only aim in looking at this passage together. And so my question for you this morning is, is are you tired? When I was praying about sickness and tiredness, are you finding yourself tired? Perhaps you've lost your way. Perhaps you've lost your purpose in life. Perhaps you are just going about the motions and you check in on Monday and you check out on Friday. And maybe even now you find yourself checking out. That things begin to be rote as opposed to something that is taping, taking deep root in your own heart. So are you tired? Are you distracted this morning from any number of debates that you've been hearing? Are you weary? Are you frustrated? And if you are, then Isaiah wants to preach to you this morning. See, the Lord can do a miraculous work in your heart if you will let Him. Spoke about last week about the remnant, right? That all of us have the opportunity to hear God's Word, and yet there is only a sliver of humanity, only a sliver of those who are listening who will get it. Who will understand. It won't be easy to listen for Jesus this morning because you and I have distractions even now that are pulling at us. Notifications that are popping up on our phones. We have shouts and we have whispers of the world around us saying, follow me and I'll give you the satisfaction that you crave. And so in lifting Jesus up this morning, my hope and my desire is, is that we would see the one who called us and that our hearts would be ignited again this morning, that the weariness and the tiredness would be swept aside, that the chaff of our life would be burned up. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit, and in fire. We come to the first of four servant songs in the book of Isaiah. 
In Isaiah 42, this is the first one. If you want to, if you're taking notes, uh, the other three servant songs are in roughly chapter 49, chapter 50, and then chapter 53. I would encourage you to kind of read those passages in concert with each other because they will inform one another. In fact, I'll be pointing to one of these other servant songs in the message today. But Isaiah 42, 49, 50, and 53, those are the four servant songs roughly speaking. And in those servant songs, what is Isaiah doing? Remember, Isaiah is speaking to a people who are going into exile. And the Lord promises to His people that there will be a day when I will send my true servant, the one who will be able to free you from all that is hindering you from hearing me. And so in this first servant song, I believe that God would be satisfied in igniting your hearts So that if you're weary, and if you're tired, if you're scared, if you're downcast this morning, the Lord would speak life to you. But you and I as hearers have to do the work of listening. Of asking God by His Spirit to do a work that only He can do. And so my prayer is, is that these words wouldn't just wash over you and then we would go about our lives, but that eternity, which is at stake this morning, would take root in our hearts. And that you and I, the reason why you're here this morning is you've seen that before. You've seen Jesus as beautiful and as satisfying to your soul. And and I trust that this morning that if you're weary and downcast, that He would satisfy your soul again this morning. And so the first point, there's only two points that I have. There's one aim, but two points from our passage that support that one aim of of lifting Jesus up, of beholding Jesus. And that first point is this, the tender love of Christ. And that's in verses 1-4, through and we're going to look at that right now. The tender love of Christ in verses 1-4. through The prophet Isaiah says, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till He has established justice in the earth and the coastlands that wait for His law. There was a Puritan named Richard Sibbs who wrote an extended meditation on this particular passage, even more specifically, verse 3, and it's called the bruised reed. And I just want to read here as we get right into the passage here. He says here that God uses the word behold, in verse 1, to raise up our thoughts to the highest pitch of attention and admiration. You see, in time of temptation, apprehensive consciences look so much to the present trouble they are in that they need to be roused up to behold Him in whom they may find rest for their distressed souls. So the Lord calls to you if you are tempted now, if you are giving in to weariness and frustration, 
The Lord says, behold, look up. Behold my son. Behold the servant that you are longing for. Because it is so easy in life when our souls are weighed down with frustrations that we lower our heads down. And we look to the ground. We look to our own concerns. And, we, and there's, a, there's a good temptation to do that, right? Like maybe we need to clean house in our own heart. And there's a place for that. There's a place for us to say, why am I so downcast? Maybe it's something inside of my heart. And yet the Lord says, yes, do that work, but don't stay there. Look up and behold, the answer to your problems will not be found in you getting it right. And you being able to uh, get all the things in line in your life. There's a time and a place for that. But the answer starts with beholding Christ. We can curl up in a ball. We can say, man, life is just so hard. It is hard. It is hard. We can seek to close the door and say, darkness, let it surround me. But like Psalm 139 says, even the darkness is as light to the Lord. That Even when you close the door and you try to hunker down and try to figure it out on your own, The Lord is there in that darkness if you'll look for Him. But in telling us to behold, God is beckoning you and me to lift up our eyes out of our circumstances, out of the junk of our lives, and look up and behold Jesus as beautiful, as all-satisfying. See, like a, a dog sometimes who's been beaten by unruly masters. We can cower in a corner and we can say, just get away from me. We can wince and think that God will strike us as well. See, this is the third time in our passage. This is the third time that God says to behold. He says it two times earlier in chapter 41. You can see that in your copy of Scripture. He says it in verse 24 and He says it in verse 29. And when he says, behold, what is he talking about? In verse 24, he's talking about the idols that Israel had put their faith in. And then in verse 29, he talks about all those who put their faith in idols. And he says, those are futile. Those will not save you. And then he says, here's the answer to your problems. It's not the idols that you have been putting your trust in, but it is my servant. So what does that mean for us? I don't like to admit this, but maybe you're like me, and so I'm going to put myself out there a little bit. Many times in my life when things are not going the way that I want them to go, I try to control situations. I try to force things to bend to my will. Maybe it's through spending a lot of time thinking and brooding and staying up late and getting up early and just kind of journaling and trying to get the problem if I could just get this to happen or maybe it's reading a ton of books and trying to get the answer and clambering after that I start to think that if this one thing changed or if that one person did that thing then everything would be all right my life would be a lot easier maybe it would be but it would be pretty incomplete too I view life as Something to be controlled and possessed. And maybe you find that this morning too. Is that you are trying so hard to get your fingers around life. And it, like a bucking bronco, will not yield to your will. It is God's gift to you that it won't. Because sometimes we can convince ourselves. (laughs) And I know I try to convince myself that sometimes it does work. Sometimes all of the 
Striving works. And it's just enough to convince me that maybe I should do more of that. And it gets me nowhere. Do any of you relate to that at all? Yeah, I see some head nods. Yeah, we try so hard and we look at life as something that, man, if I could just get my arms around this, if I could, if I could get an answer to this issue, then everything would be solved. And it will for a time. But you will find, like the idols that Israel put their faith in, that they will not be good masters. They will demand more and more from you. See, that's after all the funny things about idols. See, in the ancient Near East, you would, you would construct an idol, and Isaiah goes through that, this, this whole uh, scenario where Israel is constructing these idols. And why do, would you do that? Have you ever considered that? Like, if you have ever, ever paused and said, why in the world would you ever craft an image and bow down to it? Well, there was a, re- there was a reason for it, right? If I wanted to have a bumper crop of, of goods, then I would sacrifice to Bacchus, right? The god of the vine. If I wanted any number of things, I would say, okay, if I can do this, then this will happen. So it's actually a really good system. And I find that many of us sacrifice to idols every day. Is that if I can just do this, then I'll get this result. And so we put our faith in our ability. And that's really what Isaiah is challenging people to not give into. The tendency for us to think that if I could just get my arms around this, then my answer would be here. That's what idolatry promises you, but it will never deliver because it always demands more. God wants us to let go so that we can experience true liberation. Not the slavery that you and I can give into. Slavery to idols and slavery to trying to get it figured out, it sometimes feels good. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it. But the Lord wants you to take the risk of stepping out in faith and saying, I don't know what this looks like, God, to trust you in this area, but I want to trust you. I want to hear your voice and I want to follow you. See, the the servant, on the other hand, unlike the idols, doesn't take and take, but what does he do? He gives and he gives. Notice his tender love in verse 2. He says he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. What is Isaiah saying? He's saying he is not going to shout and force you to obey his will. He's not shaking his fist and saying, if you don't take out the trash. That's something I yelled just last night to my kids. If you don't do this. That's not who God is, my friend. He is tender He is gracious. He is loving. He won't yell at you to get you to bend to His will. He wants you to see His beauty and His love and His tenderness. Look at verse 3. He says, A bruised reed He will not break, and a faintly burning wick He will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. And so, what does this mean? What does it mean to be a bruised reed that He will not break? Well, I believe Isaiah is talking about the sin and the weakness or hurt. Both the hurt inflicted on us and the hurt that we have inflicted on others. That bending underneath. But we're going to be seeing some some flowers hopefully in the spring, right? And you can just imagine those flowers bending and 
He's not going to snap that, right? All it does is just takes a little push and that flower will break. And Jesus, this servant, is tender with us and He comes and He supports it and He upholds it. He's not in the, in the business of trying to push you until you break. Then what does it mean to be a faintly burning wick? Well, I think it's our frailty. I think it's our fears. I think Isaiah is speaking about our doubts and our seeking, our striving. Many days you and I are just merely hanging on. We grow discouraged and we grow tired. But look to Jesus, verse 4. He will not grow faint or be discouraged. This is the same word as the faintly burning one. Right? He's not going to become faintly burning, barely flickering. Why? Not until he's established justice on the earth. A servant that we hear from in Isaiah is laser focused on his purpose in life. He sets his face like a flint to accomplish the justice that he came to accomplish. And he will not give up. This is not some parochial or personalized God just concerned with small matters though. He is the King of all people, Jew and Gentile. That's what we celebrate in the season of Epiphany is that He is not just the King of the Jews, but He's the King of all creation, of all people. And He is on a mission to bring true justice to the earth and to lay justice on the earth. That's what we see here. Till He has established justice in the earth. This literally is like Him putting a crown on the head of a king. And the Lord in His justice, wants to bring justice, to lay it on the earth, and He's not going to give up until He sees the satisfaction of His soul. And those who are longing for this kind of justice are crying out to Him, even though they don't even know it. This is what the end of verse 4, and the coastlands are waiting for His law. This is why we go out to those who do not yet know Jesus. Because they, their hearts are longing for an answer to what ails them, but they don't know. And so the coastlands are waiting. They're longing for someone to come speak to them the law of God, the Word of God. That's why we go out, because there is good news for the coastlands, for those who are far off and don't yet know that their Savior's name is Jesus. See, our comfort is not from an impotent idol like Israel found their comfort and were dissatisfied. Our confidence that His tender love actually does something stems from His might. And so a lot of times we can talk about, man, Jesus is so tender and loving, and that'd be fine. But it brings you life and encouragement if He can actually do something about it. right? It's, it's nice to have somebody come alongside you and say, I know, it's going to be all right. But isn't it even better if somebody can say, all right, let me take care of it. Let me go take care of that issue that is bothering you. Because Jesus is not just tender and kind and meek and lowly. He is, the, he is those things. Are those things. <laughs> he are those things. Whatever. I don't know the grammar of that one. But He is all of those things. He's tender and gentle and meek and kind and loves you. And He doesn't point a finger at you and say, get your stuff together. I'm tired of this. He says, I understand, I know. 
but he's able to do something about it. Right? We, we heard from Psalm 89 in our call to worship. He says, O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. And then again, he says, the heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it. We are not worshiping a deity of our tribe. We are worshiping the God of all creation who stills the seas who says to the ocean, you will not go any further. And then again, he says, you have a mighty arm. Again, this is from Psalm 89. You have a mighty arm. Strong is your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. And we see this in verse 5, right? And verse 5 is really the hinge between these two points. Right? Our first point, the tender love of the servant, the tender love of Christ in verses 1-4. through four. Five, verse 5 is the hinge upon which this entire passage swings. Look at verse 5. He says, Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. We put our faith in a God who is able to work on our behalf. And I see so many Christians who are going around defeated because they are putting their confidence in themselves and their ability to get it right. The only way that you and I can get out of the mess that we're in is to behold the servant, to look to the one who holds in his right hand the power that you are longing for and that you think you have. He is the one who gives breath to the people on it, to you and me. You do not have control of your breath. You do not make your heart beat. Everything we have is a gift from God. As one commentator said, he says, even the natural world looks to God for its life. That the life that we see here on earth is, a, is God giving life every moment. You see that, verse 5. That this is So, so Christian, wake up! Stop cowering, thinking that God does not know your issues. God knows and He cares about you. The Almighty One. You didn't knit yourself together in your mother's womb. And you don't even have control over your next breath. God, the Almighty One, loves you and cares enough for you to listen to your concerns. He says, look to me. And have life. So we see the tender love that God will not break you, but that He supports you by His Spirit. But then we look at verses 6 through 9 the liberating love of the servant. So the tender love of the servant, the liberating love of the servant. Let's look at verses 6 through 9. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass and new things I now declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Look at verse 6. Four times, 
Four times we see in verse 6 that God is speaking to a singular you in this passage. You can see that, I think, at least in my, my notes here, the Hebrew for you is singular. And I was looking at my passage, and I was sitting across from, from Nate working on my passage, and, and I said, oh my goodness. Because I was structuring my sermon to say, oh, this is what God does, and this is what you do. You are to be a light to the nations. I thought he was talking about you all, right? I thought this was plural, and then I looked at the Hebrew again, and then I looked at my little note. Those are really helpful, too, if you don't know the Hebrew. But you, you, I called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people. He's speaking about the servant, and, and it's supported by that second uh, servant song that I mentioned a little moment ago in Isaiah 49, verse 6, he says, I will make you singular as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Almost a direct quotation from, from uh, chapter 42. So, what's the point? The point is, is, is that God lifts up this servant and says, go do the work that my people are unable to do. What does the servant do though? What does he do? It is true that we need tender love and acceptance because we can be really hard on ourselves. And we need God to remind us that He indeed loves us and cares for us and died for us while we were yet sinners. We need to hear that. But, and hear me out on this, but we settle for far less than what Jesus came to do many times. The Apostle Matthew tells us this much in, in his Gospel, and he says that uh, when Jesus went about the villages, and you can look at this in Matthew chapter 12, verses 9-21, through 21, Jesus goes around healing many people. And it says Jesus withdrew and Everyone went to follow Him. And what did He do? He healed them all. And Matthew takes that passage as a fulfillment of this passage. He says this is to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah said, that He will give sight to the blind and liberate those who are in dungeons. The healing that Jesus offers all who would follow Him is a testimony that He is the promised servant. So it's true that even now there is healing in Jesus' name, right? That is, there's both physical healing that He offers. I, I believe that, that God can heal people physically from their ailments in the name of Jesus. We see that quite literally. He opens the eyes of the blind, right? Verse 7, right? He says, look at what I'm doing. I am opening the eyes of the blind. I am the fulfillment of what Isaiah is talking about. I am the servant. Look at me. But then... But then he's setting prisoners free from dungeons. What is, what's Isaiah talking about there and what's Matthew talking about? Because Jesus didn't go to the Roman prisons and say, okay, y'all come on out now. So he's talking about something bigger, right? He's saying, don't just settle for the bread that fills you right now. Don't settle for the physical bread. But there is a physical need that you have, but there is a spiritual need need that is even greater for your souls to be liberated from dungeons, from the prisons that we put ourselves in. It has to encompass a larger and more comprehensive work of Jesus when He says that I'm here to heal the blind and the sick, but then I'm also to set prisoners free from the dungeon. Because each of us, whether we want to admit it or not, are either in a self-righteous prison 
and dungeon of our own making, or we are in a prison of license, a prison of licentiousness where we think that if I can just have self-rule, I will be happy. And that is where we find ourselves between these two pits of despair. And Jesus beckons you and me to come out of that dungeon that you and I have found ourselves making our home in. But, but Jesus, again, because He's tender, isn't saying, hey man, get over yourself. Get out of the dungeon. What's wrong with you? Can't you see the door is open? That's not what Jesus is doing because He's tender and loving and kind. He's beckoning us. He's beckoning you this morning and me this morning to hear His voice and to come out of the dungeon to truly set us free from sin. Because after all, His love doesn't merely comfort us. It is meant to liberate us. So let me be clear that this is, the, this is where I'm going at with the second point. Our understanding of the Gospel cannot be merely a pardon for our sin. It is gloriously true that that is the case while we remain in our dungeon. That's not what Jesus came to do. He didn't just say, hey, your, your, your sins are paid. Enjoy hanging out in that dungeon. Enjoy hanging out in that place that, of your own making. No, Jesus came to set prisoners free. Not just to pay their pardon, but to set them free from the dungeons of their own makings. He is laser focused to do this for you every day. Every day when we bruise ourselves or we bruise other people. Every day when our wick seems to be almost snuffed out. Jesus looks at you and me and He says, I can work with that. I can work with that bruised reed and I can work with that faintly burning wick. I, I can work with that. It just may look differently than what you and I plan. Again, going back to what I said earlier about so many times I just want to control my life and I have this wonderful plan for my life. If I do this and this... and it's like so confining, isn't it? The Lord wants to open up our hearts and our lives to be able to say, will you look to me and trust me where I take you? I will take you places you did not want to go for your liberation from having to control your life. After all, don't forget what we heard just moments ago from John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3. All these passages are, are here for a reason. What did John say about Jesus? He says, He will come to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Let me quote uh, Richard Sibbs again from his, from his book. He says, Physicians, though they put their patients to much pain, will not destroy them. That would be a bad doctor. They don't put them to pain to destroy them, but to raise them up by degrees. Surgeons will lance and cut, but they will not dismember. A mother who has a sick and self-willed child will not therefore cast it away. See, the Lord wants to bring true and lasting healing to our lives. 
But it is painful sometimes because you and I have made bedfellows with sin. We have made bedfellows with our own self-righteousness and our own will. The Lord says, let go of that and embrace me. Look to me to have life, liberating life. Because Jesus is not just in the business of containing an infection. That'd be great to just have the infection. He's in the business of cutting it out. And he's not just in the business of cutting it out either. He's in the business of giving you an abundant life, true life, eternal life, to restore you to full health for the very reason why you were created. You weren't created just to get by, Christian. You weren't created just to have your sins atoned for. You were created to be conformed to the image of Jesus and to, and to be Jesus into the world in which we are sent, in which we'll be sent here in a moment. <clears throat> See, the answer for you and me is not to try and burn within ourselves. That's not the answer. The answer is not to say, oh, I got to get my stuff together. I got to start burning a little hotter than I was. Rather, we have to depend and cry out to God by His Spirit that His Spirit would blow on the faintly burning wick of our lives and bring life to it. That's our only hope. That we need a miraculous work. You need a miraculous work of the Spirit in your life this morning. Not just when you finally realize that you're in the depths of despair and that you've tried your own way. No, even now this morning, each one of us need the Spirit of God to blow on the faintly burning wick of our hearts to bring them into flame. He will baptize you in the Spirit and fire. This is a miraculous work that we cannot conjure up, no matter our obedience. And that's not what God is saying. Obey me more. He's saying, look to me more. Receive from me more what I have for you. Because only God can do that. He does this for all those who would recognize first that they are a bruised reed and a faintly burning wick. And if you are not in the place where you say, yes, I am in need, then He won't work. You have to come to the end of yourself and say, yes, that's me. I, I'm the bruised reed that's bending under the weight of my own sin and under the weight of the sin of the world. I am the faintly burning wick that can't get it right. That's me. Lord God, blow on my heart. Consume me with fire from on high. But you have to ask Him to do it. He's not going to shout in the streets, but He's calling out to you this morning to let Him do that in your life. God, God has so much life for you to live, my friend. He wants you to experience true freedom and confidence in Him, not in your abilities. So many of us are worried about what people think about us. He wants to liberate you from that slavery. So many of us are holding on to past hurt and we ought to grieve that past hurt. That is a good thing to grieve that past hurt. But we ought to also use it as a means to commune with the suffering servant. The Lord allows suffering in our lives so that we might commune with Him. So that we might know the power of His resurrection as the Apostle Paul says. It's not more knowledge. And it's not sheer obedience that God is after from you. 
He wants deep communion with you. He wants you to seek His face in prayer. He doesn't want you sitting with a stopwatch saying, man, I'm only praying five minutes today. Ah, oh, such a loser. Next, next, tomorrow I'll do 10 minutes. Next day I'll do 15. No, He wants to commune with you. He wants to ignite your heart with passion for Him, with love for Him that only He can do. Not just when you need something, glorious when we recognize our daily need for Him and realize that every moment is a gift from God. So the answer to what ails us this morning from Isaiah 42 is deep communion with our Maker. And so how do you do that? I want to exhort you with one simple, practical thing. Behold Jesus. Look to Jesus. And then the second, create space in your life to see Jesus. It's going to require you to make sacrifices and effort to say, you know what? I cannot be too busy to commune with my Maker. I have to go to Him because where else is there life? And so this morning, look to Jesus. Make time and space in your life. Don't let the world tell you that you are not good enough if you're not busy. But sit at His feet. Commune with Him. Enjoy Jesus for the tender lover that He is. The liberating love that He offers you. And the Lord, my friend, will do it because He is not like the idols. Look at verse 8. He is not like the idols. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. And He is able to tell us that one day you will be freed from that slavery. And we work towards that day by day. He says it in verse 9. Behold, the former things have come to pass and new things I now declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. He is not like the idols. He can give you your heart's desire, friend. If you'll ask Him. If you'll ask Him. So what an amazing call He is sounding for you and me this morning. Are you weary and tired and ready to give up? Is the wick of your life about to be snuffed out? Jesus Christ is tender-hearted towards you and wants you to experience forgiven, liberated life this morning if you'll come to Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that this does not depend on our striving the good news of the Gospel is that it has been finished and that indeed the risen Christ offers His Spirit to all those who will acknowledge that they are a faintly burning wick and a bruised reed and in need of support, in need of that same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to our mortal bodies. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that You would come to the weary and the tired, the heavy laden, and give us rest and give us liberation from ourselves and from the sin that so easily entangles us. We ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.